I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, and welcome to Lead with Impact. I am Brian Rollo, and I am so happy to have you with me today. We have a very special guest with us for today's episode. We'll be talking to Camille Nisich. Camille is the leading expert on cash flow strategies for small businesses. She has a unique ability to spot and manage cash flow opportunities. And she credits her decades of managing cash flow across finance, communications, and marketing at a Wall Street darling and tech giant known for cash conversion cycles. So she helps businesses with their cash flow. So if you are interested in managing your money correctly, and let's face it, who isn't, then this episode is for you. So let's dive right in and talk to Camille Nisich. Camille, welcome to Lead with Impact. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. Thrilled to be here. You're very welcome, and I'm super excited about this conversation. I know we have a lot to talk about, but before we go too far, I would like to ask you, how did you get started on your journey? So my journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I, like many people, um, you know, in grad school, I, I went to grad school kind of right at the beginning of the 2000s, and entrepreneurship wasn't huge then, but there were, you know, kind of the bumblings of it. And I kind of thought in the back of my mind, yeah, one day that might be something that I want to pursue. But right now, you know, I'm going to go do the corporate thing. And then fast forward to 2007, I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And I thought, oh my goodness, I must find my muse. <laughs> I don't know if you've read that book. <laughs> Right. I love it. And so I went off on this journey of constant brainstorming and then promptly had my first child. And I realized that, okay, I might want to put that on the back burner, but yet I was still constantly thinking of ideas. And at one point I finally decided, okay, there's no, there's never going to be a perfect idea that just comes out of my pen to paper. I'm going to have to go try some things and, and whatnot. So that's generally how it started. Now, what do you do today to help people? So I am a business consultant and cash flow strategist, and I'm really passionate about helping founders and executives implement what I call billion-dollar cash flow strategies, scaled in a way that will help them sustain and grow their businesses. So having worked at a large corporation for many years, I learned a lot of those skills and those tactics, but for smaller businesses, they need to be scaled down in the right way that helps them be successful. Interesting. Now... How did your corporate experience influence what you do now? So I worked in corporate technology and I worked for Dell and I literally did a little bit of everything. I am kind of the odd duck that worked in finance and communications and in marketing. And not only did I work in finance, but I worked in like supply chain finance. I worked in corporate treasury. I worked in very kind of esoteric areas 
of finance and really got a chance to see across all of those disciplines and not only see, but manage processes where we either had to negotiate with vendors, get better commodity pricing, um, invest cash flow in overnight transactions so that we could I mean, one of the things that Dell has has always been known for is their ability to be really highly positive on their cash conversion cycle. So they actually collect money well before they have to spend it. And what they do in that process is they invest that money overnight. And so they grow cash flows that way. I mean, there's tons of things that they do, um, that being one of them. And I had a front row seat to a lot of those processes and really was able to you know, lead successful initiatives, take millions of dollars out of processes, you know, be responsible for a project that delivered a billion dollars in sales pipeline. So really had a chance to see all those different angles. And now I try to take that and apply that to the businesses that I work with. That's fascinating. It sounds like you did a little bit of everything while you were there. Yes. <laughs> I have a colleague, a former colleague that said, you know, you're really like a unicorn. <laughs> You know, when you said ad duck, I was thinking more highly skilled duck <laughs> because not too many people could do all those things. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. But I think when I boil it down, I think, well, I'm really a problem solver. And I just find, you know, the tools in the toolkit that apply to the right situation and, and put them in place. Interesting. Now, at some point, Camille reads four-hour work week, and she decides, I have to go out and start my own business. What was your biggest struggle starting out? So many ideas, um, and really trying to marry up, you know, I think a lot of times people will have a passion, or they'll have something that they're interested in, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that should be the business direction you should take. And so went through many fits and starts, like we don't even have enough time for me to tell you the fits and starts, right? Um, but I really kind of finally sat down one day, years after I read the book, and I decided I was going to take this course. And I said, okay, in the beginning of this course, it's called B-School by Marie Forleo, um, which is interesting because I'd already been to regular business school. Um, but she talks about in the pre-work of this course it's an exercise called start the right business. And I literally spent three days like combing through like, what were my skill sets? What were the things I had done? What am I passionate about? What are the things that I find easy that other people might struggle with? And even through that process, I, I finally took the leap and started the business. But even after that, I still, you know, learned that what I, the way I had characterized my skills and tried to apply them to a market wasn't right. And honestly, it was, it was some trial and error to be brutally honest. I think that's so common for many of us. At some point, you have to take what you know and love and are really good at and figure out how to turn that into a service that other people want to purchase. Yeah, that's so true. And I think maybe for, you know, I haven't listened to all your podcasts, but I think even for, for maybe your listeners and, and the way that kind of came through, I learned that lesson in the corporate world, you know, having to influence people and lead people that may not necessarily have rolled up to me on an org chart, but yet it's almost like that's almost the same thing that you do in the marketplace, right? You have these people that are out there that you know need to be served in some way, but you've got to somehow align your value to what they need. And honestly, you have to couch it in terms in defining it as what they want, because sometimes what they want is not really what they need. And so you have to be kind of you know, a little bit creative in figuring that piece out. 
Now, I'd like to talk about some of the specific things that you do. I'm sure we have business owners listening right now who are thinking, I would like to learn a little piece of what Camille knows that I can put into practice. So what can you share with them, maybe specifically about finding hidden money in their business? So the one of the things that I always tell people to do is that they need to spend time in detached observation of their processes, meaning let's look at a process. I need to not think about this is the way that we've always done it. I need to not think about, you know, the, the emotions and the people and all that tied up in it. And that's not to say that your people aren't aren't assets because they are. But let's just let's decouple ourselves and really, truly be a detached observer of those processes and figure out how many times you can ask yourself why about the way that you do things. And I mean, that might be 20 wise, that might be 100 wise, that might be 500 wise, whatever that looks like, keep asking yourself why and challenging why you do the way you do things the way you do them. And if you feel like you can't do that yourself, then you need to get someone who can. But that's what you really need to do. You need to look at every single process that you have and literally ask yourself all the whys with a detached observer's perspective. I get that, but I have found that sometimes it's difficult for business owners to separate people from process. So how do you get started helping them make that distinction? So I think it's honestly figuring out the process steps as one piece and then how the people play into the process. And I can give you an example. So one of the one of the biggest multi-year projects that I worked on in my corporate life was figuring out why there were things going wrong in the supply chain process. And I had to dig into like database structures and I had to dig into how the, the information was transferred between systems. And, and much like many companies, you know, you buy one piece of software, you put some data in it, and then later you realize that that doesn't do everything and you bolt on something, something else on top. And before you know it, you've got this kind of like ball of yarn that you've got to unravel, right? Well, that's, that's just the systems piece of it, right? But then on the flip side, it was not only is the systems piece we've got some issues with, but there were literally breaks breakdowns in communication with the people in that process. And so I had to kind of unwind it all separately, like unwind the data, unwind how people were talking to people, to each other, whether they were talking to each other. And there were, there was a situation where literally the people who negotiated a rate for commodity prices, and then the people who actually went and did that purchasing, they were not talking to each other, literally not talking to each other, and then figuratively not talking to each other because the negotiated rates were not the rates that were getting on the purchase orders. And it took me months to figure that out. <laughs> so I really had to kind of dig into all of the pieces. And that's why I say there's never enough whys that you can ask, because if I had done a cursory investigation, people would have told me, oh, yeah, per, you know, this group negotiates, this group makes sure those numbers are on the purchase order. That's how it, all things are done. That's how they've always been done. Here's the system that all flows into. And there's no problem here. When in actuality, there was a problem to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. That's amazing. Now, I want to talk about another topic, and that is negotiation. Something, again, business owners struggle with. How can you help them there? I always bring it back to just what are your common objectives? Like at some level, there's a common objective amongst you and you might have to dig a little bit, but 
in reality, there's got to be one, right? Otherwise, you probably won't be in that conversation. And so once you get past, you know, that, you get that identified, then you really got to figure out, okay, well, which, what strength does each party bring to the table? And then based on those strengths, let's define, let's define and assign a value to them because there's no transaction that's going to happen unless there's a value exchange, right? And so everybody's got to be feel good about that value exchange. And the only way you can do that is to kind of start from that place of what are our common objectives and then what strengths do we bring to the table, right? So if I have a service that you need, you need to understand that, yes, I want to see you successful. I want to see me successful. Um, I'm going to bring my strengths to the table. You, you might bring your audience, you might bring your customer set, whatever that might be. And then once we are in that conversation, we're going to figure out the best value exchange that's good for both of us. And so sometimes depending, especially when you're new or when you're small, you may have this perception of, oh, I'm on you know, the short end of that value exchange. And I'm beholden to this supplier because of that. But you really have to dial that down into what they want, what you want, where the commonality is, so that you can negotiate from a better position. Interesting. Now, can you give me some clarity? You talked about values. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. If you and I are negotiating, how do we determine whose values are stronger? I think, well, the, the common objective is what I was getting at there. The value, I mean, truly like marketplace value. Um, but in terms of, you know, the common objectives, I've got to know, and, and sometimes it's an intangible, that, you know, the way you serve your clients, let's say, is something that aligns with my business values. And then also, I have to realize that I can define what I need and you can tell me whether you're a good fit for that. And truthfully, you're, I'm also going to ask other people, right? Like I'm going to go through a series of, I tend to be really methodical with his stuff. I'm going to be very methodical about what are the, the criteria of what I need that you're offering aligns to it and where are the places where you're willing to make the deal worth it for me. Um, and I'm going to compare you to other providers and then we're going to make a very, analytical decision. Yes, there will probably be some some kind of softer intangibles in there, but I'm going to be very much grounded in the data. And so if you don't you can't come to that negotiation with, you know, an open mind and open communication, then you probably won't be the the person that's or the vendor that's selected, right? So it's it's very much let's have an open dialogue, let's not play games, let's really get hard and fast with the numbers and let's talk about the places where there could be trade-offs. So it sounds like it really starts with the mindset first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I have to say in the times that I was negotiating contracts, both in my corporate life and then individually, I mean, you know, like I've walked away from engagements that looked from an outside perspective, good on paper, you know, air quotes, good on paper. But when you dig into the details, something just wasn't right. And it was time to walk away. It's fascinating. And it sounds like your why process comes into play there, too. We're not taking things at face value. Mm -hmm. We're drilling down. Absolutely. And then you also help business owners with something that I know mystifies many of us, and that is social media. A lot of business owners I know have social media accounts, oh, and yeah. they know they should be out there but they really don't understand what they should be doing, 
how they should be doing it, and how they can turn that into business. How do you help them there? Yeah, it always it all comes down to just how can you be the most efficient with your time and your resources, right? Because we all know that social media can be a time suck. It's basically designed to be that, <laughs> which is really sad to say. However, you have to realize that, especially if you're resource constrained, you need to think about micro influence and engagement, not popularity. So it's not, you know, how many likes did I get on an image or how many views, which is a slippery slope, like the whole view game. I don't know how much you know about that, but people will get really caught up, for example, in their Facebook views. But especially let's talk about video. Video auto plays in the Facebook newsfeed and a view is counted if someone was on that video, even if the audio was down for three seconds. Well, the video automatically plays with the volume down and as I scroll past it, it starts to play, right? So three seconds is no time at all and that counts it as a view. So people will get caught up in this whole, oh, well, I got a thousand views on that. That must be what my community wants to see and I'll do more of that. But those views, that's a skewed number. You can't just look at the views. You need to look at other things, right? And so really what you need to be thinking about is what does your engagement look like? Are you asking those people to take some sort of action and are they taking it? And it's not just as simple as comment and, you know, like, um, and then you need to think about your micro influence and your micro influence might mean that you have a small followership, but you have meaningful conversations with the followers that you do have. And so you can't just always sit back and let that be a passive activity like, oh, I made a pretty graphic and it's got my logo on it and what have you. You really need to figure out how to get your engagement and your micro influence growing. And I'd like your feedback on this. I know a lot of business owners struggle with the question mm -hmm. or the ratio between selling and mm -hmm. engagement. For instance, you might see a business owner who every post is a sale attempt yep. and they're asking you to buy every single time and that can sort of rub you the wrong way a little bit. Yep. And then others might just engage, 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 but never make a sale and they're going to be frustrated there right. too. So how do they find that balance? I think the balance always comes back to telling the story of your company and the story of the people that you're already serving. Stories for, you know, millennia <laughs> have been what sells, right? And so that's no different than today. It's just the tools that we use are different. And so if I want to buy a service and I see that you not only tell the stories of your happy customers, your customers that are engaged, engaged with you, but you also make me feel like I am like them, then I am more inclined to take that next step with you. And so even if you are resource constrained, budget constrained, you have a smartphone, you have somebody that you're serving and you can tell a story about that engagement. I mean, yes, there's some things, there's some nuances in that process, but just defaulting to sharing your journey and how you serve and who those people are that are happy can go a long way. I mean, and, and you should do that before you ever invest in a social media manager, anybody to do advertising, like start telling your stories first and then think about whether those other things are the right decision. Interesting. And you said something I really liked there. You said, make the customer feel like they're one of the people that you help. And I guess I never really thought of it that way. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a, another story that I would like to tell you, I guess, that comes to mind. I had a potential client that I had been reaching out to for a long time, months, and not really getting a response. And then one day out of the blue, they messaged me and said they would like to meet. And it's because they saw some of my videos that have been posted. And they said, I could tell just by watching your videos that you're really sincere. You know what you're talking about. And we just needed to get together and talk. So a lot of that goes to posting video and being really authentic and intentional about what you do, in my mind. It's so true. And I got to tell you, I mean, and I, I think I told you this when we met in person, but I have done hundreds of videos and I get a lot of lurkers and you just never know. I mean, the way to figure out if people are watching your videos is to stop doing them and immediately people will come out of the woodwork. Oh, I haven't seen your videos. I mean, I cannot tell you. I did 105 straight days of Facebook lives over last summer and I decided I was going to pivot. I was going to spend a little bit more time on LinkedIn what have you. And I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten messages to say, oh, I don't get your notifications anymore. What's going on? Are you doing videos? I had to come manually come to your page because I wasn't seeing your notifications. <laughs> and so, but yet people that have never, ever commented on my videos are definitely watching them. Um, and then even I had an instance like that today. I have a woman who I've had a couple of conversations with, but I know she sees my content because she will like it or love it or occasionally comment. And then she seemingly out of the blue said, are you taking new clients and can I get on your calendar? So yes, there, you cannot underestimate the value of just kind of showing up um, while you work that micro influence and that, um, you know, that strategy around telling stories because they go kind of hand in hand and you're going to have to outbound some of that work. You're not just going to be able to sit back and, 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 and put your videos out. Like it sounds like even in your case, you were doing your content yet. You were trying to constantly kind of touch base with her periodically. Right. So you kind of need to do both sides of that equation. And if you can't do it directly, then you need to have someone who does it. But, um, but, um, but definitely, engaging but definitely in engaging in other people's content is important as well. And if nothing else, it makes for a warm call instead of what might have been a cold call. Exactly. And I want to thank you, too, because we did meet recently and you gave me a technical tip. It was really big. And that was about uploading video as native content to LinkedIn versus linking back to YouTube. And thank you, because that made a big difference. You're so welcome. Yeah. And you get, I mean, there's so many upsides to it. You get your own analytics on your LinkedIn content. It gets more visibility just in your organic reach. And there's just, there's so many, you know, and then when people do discover you, maybe they discover you based on a search and they see that you've posted that content there. Yeah. It helps you in so many ways. And now for a little bit of a change in direction, I understand that you have been on a reality TV show. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was quite the experience. So one of the things that I have often thought in my entrepreneurial journey, and it's just one of my tenets, is that it's important to have multiple streams of income. Like if you are trying to bootstrap, if you are just trying to grow, if you are trying to take advantage of tax implications, I mean, there's so many reasons why you should definitely have more than one revenue stream, right? So I have multiple revenue streams in my business and there's someone that I follow for a long time. His name's Ray Higdon. And he's one of those people where 
and this, I don't know, you, you've probably experienced this too, where you might follow someone who seemingly doesn't seem like they are the kind of person that, that speaks to your industry or whatever, but there's lessons that you can learn, even if they're not in your industry. Right. And so I was kind of, you know, on the, on the cusp, on the, on the side of his industry, I wasn't deep into it, but it was something that I paid attention to. And I paid attention a lot to his content because it resonated across all of the business I do. Right. And so he posted in this group that I'm in, uh, that's his group saying that, Hey, we're going to do a reality TV show and it's going to be filmed in Fort Myers, Florida. And it's going to be somewhat like the apprentice and that it will be business challenges. And I thought, okay, well, what's the likelihood I would even get picked? Right. But I decided, oh, all I have to do is send an email and submit a video. Well, I'm comfortable doing video, so absolutely. All day long, I'll do a video. So I submitted for it thinking I'm not certain I'll get picked. I actually didn't even tell my husband I was submitting because I didn't think I would get picked. And I got picked to be on the show, which was it's, – it's a web-based reality show. Um, and I was in season one. They're actually about to film season two. So depending on when this episode comes out, um, season two might be, you know, about to be released. And so, yeah, uh, it was a an eye-opening experience, to say the least, both from a media production standpoint, which I have in my, my past, like prior to my corporate technology career, I worked in film and video post-production and even television news for a little while. So um, that was something that was fascinating from the media standpoint, as well as just the experience of being in a one day perform as a, uh, as a business mind, if you will, <laughs> under, under weird circumstances, I would say. So yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. What are your thoughts about whether or not we are seeing the real reality when we watch shows like that? Are we seeing what actually happened? <laughs> it was very interesting. Even having lived through the experience, I was excited to watch, you know, my episode and even the finale, even though I was there for the filming of the finale, just because I wasn't sure how the episode would be portrayed and, and how it would be edited together, et cetera. So, yeah, it's definitely there's a lot of editing that happens. Well, I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was great. Now, a change of pace. Who were your mentors? Yeah, that's a tough question. I think if I think about it, I think, you know, my mother <laughs> comes to mind, obviously, you know, arguably the first mentor, um, you know, both my parents, but in different ways, um, good coaches that I had along the way. And, and I mean, actual sports coaches, um, you know, I had one coach in particular that just instilled sportsmanship in me. Not that I would have ever, I don't think naturally have been a bad sport, but he really highlighted how important that was. And that's a lesson that is great to learn when you're young, but it is so, so important for all of your life, especially when, if you're ever in a corporate environment or, or in the business environment that, you know, deals may come and go, they may go well, they may go south, they may happen, they may not happen. But that level of integrity and sportsmanship is so very key. So that, that was definitely a lesson I learned really early on um, playing softball at a young age. But then, you know, when I think about some of the amazing managers that I had along the way, they were also mentors. And one in particular who I worked for, I was actually um, an intern at, at my company before I went there full time when I was in grad school. And so from the day one, you know, this, this gentleman, his name's Perry Coughlin, he interviewed me for my internship. And then, you know, he was kind of my mentor after I joined the company. 
And one of the things that he would always say to me was, never go into a meeting with a complaint unless you have a potential solution that you can share. And I always appreciated that. And I always shared that with people that I worked with later, because I think that's a valuable lesson. Like nobody wants to hear complaints (laughs) without solutions. And even if you know, your solution is not adopted. At least you took the time to think about it and to come to the table with a potential solution. So yeah, I, so many mentors along the way, I feel like I try to take something from every encounter, whether it, honestly, if it's positive, positive or negative, but yeah, I had some amazing, both sports mentors, managers, you know, family. And Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah forget him. And yeah. I, lo- I love what you were saying about the problems and the solutions. It's so true because problems are easy to spot. Solutions are a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And anybody can complain. But to be the person that brings a solution to the table is really powerful. Absolutely. Yep. How can people find you online? So I have a website. It's just CamilleNisich.com. So just first name, last name. But I also really love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I am a big, big fan of what I call hero networking. So I want to connect to you. I want to genuinely know what you do, why you do it, how you do it. And either, you know, maybe that might lead to an engagement between the two of us, or it might very well lead to me connecting you to someone. And I absolutely love to do that wholeheartedly do that do that on a weekly basis multiple times so i'm always looking to have conversations with people learn about what they're doing and see if there's any way that i can help them so linkedin definitely um, in addition to my website fantastic if you could put a one sentence message on a billboard to the world what would it be Hmm, one sentence is hard Um, I guess one of the, you know, how y'all, you have your catchphrases that you either share with other people or you think about and that kind of ground you in what you do. And I guess I would say for me, just leave them better than you found them. Like I try in every encounter that I have with someone, whether it's business, personal, you know, like at a grocery store, (laughs) walking down the street, I just want for that period of time that I am in another person's presence that I ultimately leave them better than I found them. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Lastly, what does the future hold for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, I just want to see how much of an impact I can have in terms of just growing myself, helping business leaders grow their businesses, but honestly, solving problems, like solving I really, truly think that the biggest problems of our time are going to be solved by small business owners and innovative thinkers. I just don't think that those solutions are going to come from big entities. I think they're going to come from, you know, seemingly small players. And so whatever part I can play in helping them be successful is, you know, what I'm what I'm feeling like my mission and my purpose is in the world. That's amazing. And I want to thank you, Camille, for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and talk with us. We've all learned a lot from you today. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Such a treat to be here. 